0: Hello Shiver Seekers! Are you ready to follow us into the unknown? I'm Cynthia and I'm Stephanie and you have found the Dark Oak. On today's episode we are going to discuss the mysterious disappearance of the Solder children. Did they perish in a fire on Christmas Eve or is something else afoot?
1: Welcome to The Dark Oak, the mystery podcast with purpose. Each month through the branch of Hope Fund, we give a portion of earnings from our Patreon and sponsors to a nonprofit organization of your choosing. To find out how you can be part of the movement, head over to thedarkoak.com or stay with us until the end of the episode and we will give you all the details.
0: Stephanie, I could not help but to think of you as as I was preparing for this episode, because what I used for my source material was a book by Bob Bragg called No Direct Evidence, The Story of the Missing Sodder Children. And this man took years of his life to do a deep dive on this story. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, that's Stephanie. <laughs> you know what? You know, I love a deep dive girl. <laughs> we do. So I just I thought if Stephanie ever were to write a book on on any case, <laughs> she would be. We'd learn everything there was to learn for sure, which is an amazing thing. I wish I, I had that. Uh, drive. Yeah, that we
1: do. I'm waiting for the right case to come across, you know, my path that I feel hasn't been explored enough. I really liked reading the book on Jeanette De Palma, one of our original episodes, Yes, because it was the only book written on her. And there was so much about her case that I never would have known. I feel like if I was going to write a book, it would have to be one of those cases where nobody knows anything about the case, but it Definitely needs to be solved and deserves justice in my lifetime. That could happen. Hey, I'm here for it. I I want a signed (laughs) copy. Hot off the press. I'll let you cover it in your podcast.
0: (laughs) Well, the author of this book, Bob Bragg, dedicated the book to the memory of his mother, Helen June. He said that during his childhood, it was her urging to take Sunday drives to Fayetteville
1: that caused him to see the famous Sodder billboard. Yes. Yes. When you told me you were bringing this case, that's the first thing that I said was, oh, like the billboard. The billboard.
0: Yes. He said on these trips, the family would have a lot of discussions sparked by the billboards about what may have happened to the Sodder children. He said his mother sadly did not live to see his book completed, but he believed she would have been very proud of the effort he made to discover what may have happened to the missing solder
1: children. Any efforts anyone makes to seek justice, especially justice for children, I think it's an A-plus in my book, too. I bet she'd be very proud.
0: Oh, she would be. I would be so proud as a mother. Well, Bob Bragg wrote this book based on years of investigation that he personally did. He also obtained reports from the Virginia State Fire Marshal's Office going all the way back to the 1950s concerning this fire. He went back to newspapers and reports from the time. He had some previous skills that he'd been using in researching genealogy, so he used some of those skills to obtain some information. He submitted Freedom of Information Act requests to the state police and the state fire marshal's office. Now, some of the documents he was able to obtain Regarding this case, referenced both the state police and the state fire marshal as having large volumes of files on this case. However, his FOIA requests were answered the same way by both agencies, no records remaining. Ew,
1: I don't like that. I know. That's weird.
0: There were some letters that were written in the early 1940s by the West Virginia State Police that refer to the files of the state fire marshal regarding the solder case as voluminous, but over the years, those cases have either the or those files have been lost or destroyed.
1: Oh, that's so disappointing. I, you and I talk about this so much. I know they need room, but I feel like any unsolved case, you should not destroy material related to it because you never know. You never know what could come up, even a 100 years down the road. I'm
0: with you. I have a real hard time with justifying, destroying unsolved cases. However, this case, uh, in a lot of people's minds, has been solved. Bob Bragg was able to obtain valid information from some older detective magazines. And um, yeah, so back in the day, they had like detective magazines, which I feel like are kind of maybe the 1950s versions of podcast perhaps (laughs) true crime podcast
1: I'll I'll throw myself in that category I mean it's probably unwarranted but I'll take it
0: (laughs) yes now just like in the world of podcast he did find some of the facts we'll say to be inaccurate Mm -hmm. and geared more towards selling the magazines so each article that he used for this book that I used to you know write this episode was examined for accuracy And while some of the more salacious details would have been interesting to add, many did have to be dismissed. We are bringing you as factual information as we possibly can. Now, regarding members of the Sauter family, there was a split among the surviving relatives regarding what they believe the fate of the children to be. But the parents of the Sauter children, George and Jenny Sauter, spent most of their lives Following the tragedy, searching for their children and what they believe to be the truth of what happened to them. Here is what we do know the missing solder children were five children who were either victims of an intentional house fire or an accidental house fire, or they were kidnapped, or in some other way made to disappear prior to the fire
1: starting. I would prefer none of these options, please. None of them are good. I hate all of these options. What a nice Christmas episode this is. You're welcome. I know it happened on Christmas. And so we're following tradition here. But gosh, five kids. It's... This is going to be a rough one. I it, will Cynthia? tell you,
0: this one was really hard for me. In fact, I actually, one night after uh, working on this episode, I actually had a really hard time falling asleep because... It just bothered me so much to think of these parents, you know, as a parent myself. It just made me really sad to think of what they may have been feeling.
1: We may need a palate cleanser after this one. (laughs) Yes, we
0: will. George Sauter was an Italian immigrant who came to the U.S. in 1911 when he was just 13 years old. We don't know a whole lot about George's early life, but what we do know is that George landed in New York. And there are records that he later worked in both Pennsylvania and Michigan. But by the early 1920s, he had settled in West Virginia where he began a life in the coal mines. Jenny Cipriani was born in 1902 in Italy, and her family moved to the US when she was only two years old. Her family also ended up in the coal fields of West Virginia, and that's where Jenny and George first met when George came into Jenny's father's store to buy some supplies.
1: Not cute.
0: I thought that was cute. The couple married in 1922. And they moved to Fayetteville, where our story takes place. In 1935, George got tired of the coal mining lifestyle, and he left that to work for Genitolo and Company, which was a hauling and transfer company. And by the early 1940s, the couple had 10 children.
1: Yep. They are populating the earth. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of kids. Yeah. Good for them. It's, I'm happy for the Sodders. <laughs>
0: I'm happy. Well, because they had all these kids, they needed a big house. So they bought an eight room house located just outside of Fayetteville along what was then Route 21, but today is State Road 16. One of the partners in the Janitolo Company, Forenzo Janitolo, agreed to co sign the loan for Mr. Sauter. And in return, Mr. Sauter agreed to make this man the beneficiary of a homeowner's insurance policy on the house in case something happened to it.
1: Mm. All right. That sounds. Possibly tricky. Sticky. Seems a little messy to me. Messy. Messy is a good word. On the outset, it seems like a very nice thing to do. Sure. You want to protect the person who's, you know,
0: invested in you.
1: Yeah. Okay. We'll just see how that plays out. Let's do. (laughs) Not well, I can tell you. I don't like that chuckle. That means I I may have some intuition here. Oh, Imagine that. (laughs) You see something bad coming on a true crime, (laughs) unsolved mystery podcast? Something smells fishy. Wow.
0: (laughs) You do need your own detective magazine. Well, in 1943, George left the Janitolo Company and went out on his own, purchasing the Dempsey Transfer Company that was failing at the time. The Sauter's two oldest sons helped out of the company while Ginny handled the books. So it was
1: a family affair. Okay. I like that. And I like that he's not scared to try something new. No,
0: he wasn't scared at all. In fact, during this same period of time, George was very open and honest about his opinions on Mussolini. And this was not very appreciated by many of the Sauter family's fellow Italian neighbors. Oh, Okay. Now, because of this, Mr. Sauter claimed that he endured many threats from his fellow Italians, including receiving a Black Hand letter. Okay,
1: Black Hand.
0: I'd never heard of a Black Hand letter. But the Black Hand was a group of individuals affiliated with the local Italian mafia, which that right there just sounds terrifying. (laughs) Yep, don't want to mess with them. No, this was not a group you would want to find yourself involved with at all. And a black hand letter was when this group would send a potential victim a letter outlining their demands for money and threatening to kidnap a member of a family if the money was not paid. How does this sound made up right now? I know, it sounds like a movie. It doesn't sounds it?
1: completely made up, like a horse. In and your this bed? is real. life.
0: yes, yeah, this is this is real Italian mafia back in the back in the day. Scary, very scary. Now, after receiving one of these letters, many victims would pay the money and were then left alone, right? But other victims would sometimes refuse. Sometimes they'd fight back or just refuse to pay. And many of these people were victims of murder, kidnapping, or firebombing. This is horrible. It's terrifying. That's why I said don't get involved with the Italian mafia.
1: Yikes. And really, from what I can tell... Speaking out against Mussolini or just coming across the path of someone that he knew, one of these neighbors, maybe another community member. I mean, it's not like he's out there trying to intentionally tick people off.
0: Right. And what we will learn is it this. Area had a lot of Italian immigrants because of what was happening over in Italy at the time. Sure. A lot of people, sure, you know, came over here, and there were a lot of people believed to be affiliated with this kind of underground Yikes. crime ring. Yes. Okay, so who would have thought? I know, I I learned that in doing this research. I did not know that. Well, one of the first strange incidents that happened that we can trace back to around the dates of the Solder family. Fire. It was about three months prior to the fire when the Sauter family had an insurance agent named Rosser Long visit their home. He had been referred to the Sauters by Forienzo Genatolo, that former employer of George's. Okay. That had like co-signed the loan? Yes. Yeah, correct. During this visit, Mr. Long suggested that Mr. Sauter purchase life insurance for himself and his family. Mr. Sauter said he was not interested in making this purchase, Mr. Long then suggested Mr. Sodder increase the amount of insurance he carried on his house from $1,500 to $1,750, and he said that Mr. Janitolo had suggested that he do this, but Mr. Sodder declined again.
1: Okay, now you've already kind of introduced me to this black hand extortion method. There's an idea it could be related to this letter. We will learn later. That one of the
0: tactics that this Italian mafia, specifically the black hand, would use is sometimes to try to extort potential victims with the threat of needing to increase life insurance or get new policies. Oh, so
1: it's not necessarily the payout to the black hand would come out of this insurance, but basically the idea of like you should probably complete whatever has been asked of you. Otherwise, you may be in need of life insurance or additional insurance in your home because something bad might happen.
0: Maybe both. Maybe and. Like, maybe
1: and. You, you know, maybe all of the above.
0: And then, yeah. Okay. Oh Yeah. I don't really know, like, the details of how it all would have worked. but I Yeah, but I'm just was trying to figure out how, the... how
1: this very bizarre request would have fit into it. I,
0: it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me at the time, but I, yes, I believe... Whatever so somehow we think it thing. is related
1: to this black hand letter. Potentially. Some people Potentially. do believe that. Some people okay. think. Otherwise, maybe he's just a, a salesman trying to hawk his stuff. Insurance salesmen all the time are trying to, insurance on this, insurance on that. You want to insure your dog. You want to insure, I mean, I think, didn't JLo insure her booty at one time? I think I she mean, did. Yes. I think you can, like, insure yes. all kinds Anything. of things. And yeah. he may just be trying to sell some insurance.
0: All right. Well, that, we'll just have to. But it find was out peculiar
1: because the author put it in the book. Like something is, smells a little fishy about this incident. Yes. Okay. A
0: few weeks later, a stranger showed up at the Solder home and was outside talking to George Sauter. And then without being invited to do so, began walking around to the back of the Solder house. And of course, Mr. Sauter accompanied him. And when they got to the back of the house where the power line case went from the line to the fuse box, this man said to Mr. Sauter, that's going to cause a fire someday. It's faulty. How would a stranger know that? Or why would you say that? It seems very bizarre, especially since Mr. Sauter then told the stranger he'd, recent- he'd recently had an electric stove installed that required a new power line to come into the house, and everything had been installed by a licensed electrician and checked by the local power company. So it did seem very strange. However, if we're going to go with this Italian mafia potential theory, this could be looked at as
1: a warning. A creepy one. A very creepy well, one. Well, I mean, all warnings are creepy. <laughs> but I'm just saying, whoa. Well, this one was go away, especially weirdo. creepy because it literally happened like two months later. Yeah. So at the time, he probably didn't think a ton of it. But then, you know, this is so much like hindsight is 2020. I bet. Exactly. Exactly. According to West Virginia State Fire Marshal and
0: subsequent reports, approximately 60 days prior to the fire, Forenzo Janatolo told the Sodders, quote, I see you have refused to take out insurance and refused to sign the papers to settle Mr. Sodder's, Mrs. Sodder's father's estate. Your house is going to go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. Also, you're going to be paid back for the dirty remarks you have made about Mussolini,
1: end quote. Well, that could absolutely be considered a warning. <laughs> <laughs> if, if your
0: house isn't going to burn down by this faulty fire, wasn't a warning. This definitely was, right? I
1: believe this is considered a warning. <laughs> and
0: again, within 60 days, the prediction came true. Now, as you mentioned, these statements and kind of weird situations probably seem strange at the time, but then we're easily forgotten. And yeah. it's not until we look back after the fact that they become like, whoa, Red flags. Oh, like blinking right. signs. Right. So around six PM on Christmas Eve, nineteen forty five, the oldest solder daughter, Mary Ann, had arrived home from her job at a department store where she'd also, at her parents' request, bought Christmas gifts for her brothers and sisters. And George and Jenny had allowed the children to open a couple of gifts that evening, as was their custom, which I always let the kids open like one on Christmas Eve. Do you do that? We
1: haven't done it yet. I find Christmas Eve to be almost more magical than Christmas Day. Of course, I believe in Christmas Day is a wonderful celebration, but I don't know. Christmas Eve still has all of the anticipation and yes. excitement and like magic. Yes. Christmas Day, it's like, well, here we are. It's over. <laughs> it's a little bit, but the Christmas Eve still has all like the magic to it. So we may start it this year. Because I I think that would be kind of fun.
0: It's so fun. That's why we do it is because the kids are generally so excited. And I've seen families who do it where it's like pajamas that they wear to bed or just, you know, one gift, like it's a little the night before Christmas book or something like that. Yeah. It'd be something specially planned by the (laughs) parent, but I'm with you. Christmas Eve is pretty special. Yeah. Now, the Sauter's adult son, Joe, was in North Carolina awaiting discharge from the army, but the rest of the family was here spending this beautiful holiday together Now, like so many parents, George and Jenny were exhausted this evening, Christmas Eve. So
1: (laughs) they decided to go to bed around 10 p.m. I think you and I have talked about that funny meme, you know, where the child is speaking to his mother saying, you know, you must just love Christmas because Santa takes care of everything. (laughs) (laughs) I, yes, that's true. Yeah, thank God for Santa hey, is yes. all I can say. Santa does it all, and we just get to kick back and just watch it happen.
0: <sighs> Most relaxing <laughs> of all holidays, if I do say so myself.
1: <laughs> no pressure here <laughs> Not at all. So I understand. Yes, yes. So
0: these lazy parents. <laughs> yes, exactly. Were exhausted, exhausted at ten p.m. So, with ten children. Oh my goodness! I can only imagine. Well, their bedroom was on the first floor of the home, and when they retired, they took the youngest child, three-year-old Sylvia, with them because she slept in a crib in their room. Five of the children, Ginny, Louis, Maurice, Martha Lee, and Betty, asked their mother, Mrs. Sodder, if they could stay up late to play with their new toys and listen to the radio, which I just get visions of. I don't know, a little black and white Christmas, listening to the radio and playing with their toys. I mean, how adorable it's is that? It's like a, a Norman Rockwell painting. No, it really is. She said they could stay up late as long as they finished their chores before going to bed. The chores consisted of closing the curtains, pulling the shades, and locking the doors. The two boys, Louis and Maurice, also had to go outside, feed the cows, and close the chicken coops. The oldest daughter, Mary Ann, decided to stay up as well so that she could read some magazines, and eventually she fell asleep on the living room sofa. One of her regular chores was to get the small children upstairs to bed, so staying up later may have had something to do with the other five had asked to stay up late. She may have been trying to help out. I'm not sure. Right. Now, the upstairs of the house consisted of two bedrooms, one for the boys, one for the girls. The oldest boys, John and George, and George also went by the name of Ted. So if anywhere in your uh, listening or to this case or doing any research on this case, you hear Ted. Ted is also George. That confused me
1: <laughs> for quite some time. Uh, maybe that's a thing with uh, families with a lot of kids. I ran into that with our Bell Witch episode as well because... They- Several of the children had multiple names, and it really took me a long time to figure out who they were talking about. Me too. Literally halfway through the book, I was like, hold on. Do they have 11 kids? That really was. Yeah, and George and Ted, like that's kind of a big leap too right. I, I, I assume
0: maybe one was a middle name. I Probably. mean a, maybe Theodore. Or, I who knows right. But either way, George and John went to bed around eleven or eleven thirty that night. They couldn't remember the exact time. And they also couldn't remember if the younger boys ever came to bed that night. they they cannot say for sure, okay. Around 1230 a.m., Mrs. Sodder woke up to the sound of the telephone ringing in her home office. Now, there's a few different accounts of what happened during this phone call, but the most prevalent is that a woman called asking for someone who the Sodders did not know. Now, this would be unusual because this was back in the day where you picked up the phone and you spoke to an operator and told them who you wanted to talk to, and then the operator then placed the call. So, in order to reach a wrong number, like somebody had to mess something up, but it was just an extra step.
1: So, the idea is either the person asked for the solder home, but then when they made contact, they asked for someone different, or the person connecting them connected this caller to the wrong home. Correct. Okay, but something weird happened. And also, this is like the wee hours of between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, which is strange. Correct. Yeah. That's really it's, strange. The whole thing is strange. The whole thing is strange.
0: Now, when Mrs. Sauter told the caller they had the wrong number, she said, and again, this is the most prevalent account, that right before they hung up, she heard a man in the background let out like a weird laugh or sound. Now, th- like I said, there's different accounts. Some say that maybe the woman made a weird laugh. Some accounts say it sounded like there was a party going on in the background some accounts even say that Mrs. Soder felt like somebody was trying to like play a practical joke on her.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't it being a Christmas party, mm-hmm. possibly somebody was drunk dialing. I don't know if you do that back then, but I'm saying so maybe that's the reason for the mistake. It is unusual. Who knows? And the fact that there's several different accounts of what may have happened
0: doesn't help. Uh, sure. But there was a phone call. We know that. And, and again, it's in it the middle of the night. Number. She
1: probably, you know, you're half asleep.
0: Right. So you're not even sure what you heard. Right. What was that? Something bizarre happened during this phone call. That's what we do know. Now, when she hung up the phone, Mrs. Sauter noticed that Marianne was asleep on the sofa, and she just assumed that the other children went to bed by themselves, decided not to wake Marianne up. Now, Mrs. Sauter noticed that some of the chores she told the children to do had not actually been done, and all the mothers... (laughs) <laughs> Collective sigh. <sighs> but instead of making them come downstairs and do them at 1230 at night, she did them herself. However, she would say that she regretted this decision for the rest of her life. Because yeah. what we're going to learn is that later on, not immediately after this fire, but later on, the solders are going to wonder if their missing children were even at the home, in the home at this point. And she'll never know because she didn't go lay
1: eyes on them. You know, I mean, again, hindsight, you know, right. all this, this hindsight, because, of course, you know, as he said, a mother walking out, yes, you can have this great thing as long as you do X, Y, and Z. And of course, they don't do X, Y, and Z. But at the same time, it's your sweet children. It's Christmas Eve. You're like, I'm not going to wake them up. At know? one o'clock in the morning, 1230, one o'clock. No way. I'm, I'm just going to let them, you know... The visions of sugar plum dance in their heads and we'll just take care of it tomorrow. You got it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she did anything out of the ordinary. No, that's what I would do. Yeah, exactly. About half an hour
0: after going back to bed, Mrs. Sautter heard what she thought sounded like a rock or a hard ball hitting the highest pitch of the roof and then rolling down off the gutter. Now, the way the house was set up, it had a second story, but George and Jenny's bedroom was on the first story of the house. With nothing above it. So the second story was not above their house. So whatever happened, it was like right on top of her her head, she would have heard. She heard this sound one time, but since she didn't hear it again, she just went back to sleep.
1: I mean, it could have been anything, a, a pine cone, a squirrel, or,
0: like, who knows? Anything. I, I yeah. don't get up for one weird noise.
1: No. I mean, you know, you take notice and then you're like, well, all right, I'm going to go back to sleep. And yeah. Also, you've just completed all your kids' chores. You know, it's going <laughs> to be an early Christmas morning. Like, you're just like, I'm just going to go to sleep. I'm done. Yeah, yeah I'm done. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, in the nearby town of Aloy, there was a large metals plant that still exists today. And at the... T- At the time, it employed many workers, and these workers were so spread out that the company dispatched a bus each night for each shift. This bus would pick the workers up and then take them to the plant and then bring them home, and one of the routes this bus made was into Fayetteville, and this bus just happened to be passing by their solder home on the night of the fire. Now, one of the men on this bus saw something unusual. We do not know if this witness came forward right away. Or if one of the private detectives that George Sauter hired later on tracked him down. But either way, this witness said that while he was going past the Sauter house, he saw what appeared to be fireballs being rolled onto the roof of the house. Okay, that's a big deal. That's alarming to say the very least but yes to see fireballs rolling on a roof is that's just such
1: an odd description
0: fireballs being rolled onto a roof right that is very strange i mean i i can visualize it
1: and also yeah i would hope that he had come forward right away wouldn't that be weird if he saw fireballs or what he thought to be fireballs didn't come forward until he was found later. Even though I don't know, it's, it sounds like this town. I mean, it's literally like looking up for the mole, right? Like yeah. you don't know who's working for who. Exactly. Oh gosh, it's so sticky and like you said, messy.
0: Right, and that's why I mentioned that we don't know when he came for. Because again, I want to just kind of reiterate: you don't know who's who in this in this town in this story. Ooh. Soon after going back to sleep. Ginny woke up yet again, and this time she smelled smoke. She tried to wake George up, and then she went to investigate. And when she opened her bedroom door, she saw heavy smoke in the hallway, and the house was filled with flames. Terrifying. Terrifying. She started screaming to everyone in the house to wake up and get out. And in doing so, she woke Marianne up She heard her mom screaming, so she woke up. She went straight into her parents' bedroom and grabbed baby Sylvia out of the crib Okay, and took her out of the house. Smart. Very smart. Mrs. Sauter saw that George was still asleep, so she shook him to to wake up.
1: I know. (laughs) Sorry, that was was probably not a very nice moment.
0: (laughs) I know. My husband is an amazing man, but you know what he can sleep through? A crying baby. It's amazing to me. Oh, So this did not surprise me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Sutter woke George up, and as she was doing this, she realized she'd not seen any of the other kids. So after she woke George up, she ran to the bottom of the stairs, and it was there she saw the two oldest boys, John and George, standing at the top of the stairs. Okay. Now, remember, almost 100 years ago, homes were not built with the fireproofing that you know, we have now. No, so they're like matchsticks. Uh, exactly. This house went up in flames very, very quickly. John Solder, the oldest son, was quoted in the initial statement taken by the West Virginia State Police the morning after the fire as saying that when he was calling to the other children, he thought they were asleep, but he was sure that he heard a reply from one of the younger boys, Maurice or Lewis. Another account said that John shook the younger boys to wake them up. Later on, John would say that he was either mistaken or that he'd been misquoted. He'd never had any contact or heard the two younger boys during the fire. Mm. But because this fire was spreading so quickly and it was so hot, by the time John and his brother did make it down the stairs, the hair on the tops of their heads and the tops of their ears were burned. John said that by the time he got about halfway down the stairs, they realized there was no returning to the second floor. And later witnesses would see scars on George's hand, and it became even more apparent that the flames were right on top of these two boys as they left the house. And they would say the reason why they didn't make sure the other two boys were awake and get them out of the house was their initial reaction was, let's get up and go put the fire out. They weren't thinking about getting the kids out. They were thinking about, let's stop. The fire. They were
1: thinking of teenage boys. I mean, they 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 had good intentions, right? It sounds like, but they barely made it out with their lives. Sounds like,
0: right? And um, again, it just happened so quickly that there was, they had seconds. They had seconds to make any kind of choice. Terrifying. Oh, so anxiety-inducing. This case really. Yeah, really. I mean, it's
1: literally making me think on the back of my mind, like do we have fire preparedness at my house? We need to talk about a plan. Yes,
0: please. Everybody, if you take anything away from this case, you know, outside of just how awful this is for this family. And if you have any information that we can help bring some closure, but anything else, like, um,
1: you know, think about these kind of things. Yeah, because it is the season for house fires and electrical fires. And I'm going to have to powwow (laughs) with the family, I think. Absolutely.
0: Well, as the family made it outside, some still barefoot, they realized that five of the children were missing. And these were the same five children who stayed up late downstairs, which Peculiar. make a note of that because yeah. that's interesting. Peculiar. Now, obviously, the solder parents did everything they could to get back inside the house, but the flames were everywhere. At one point, Mr. Sodder tried breaking a window to get in. He was unsuccessful in doing so because of the flames, but he did
1: slash his arm pretty Pretty badly. Oh, my gosh. I'm sure he wasn't even aware of at the time. No. Because he's just trying to get to his children. Of, of course. Yeah.
0: Mr. Slaughter did keep a ladder right beside the house. So he went to go get the ladder to try to reach the upstairs bedrooms. Yeah. He believed the missing children were, you know, still in. The ladder, which was always kept in the same place, right beside the house, was missing. What? Get this. This is This is the part that stuck with me. Mr. Sauter literally tried to climb up the side of the house to get inside those bedrooms upstairs. Bless it. On Christmas morning. (sighs) Yes. On on, On Christmas morning. Early Christmas morning. When that didn't work, obviously, Mr. Sauter and John thought they might be able to use their trucks as a way to gain access to the second floor. But when they attempted to start them, neither truck would start.
1: Oh, okay. These are just too many coincidences. That's strange.
0: Now, I have, you know, heard podcasts on this case before and things like that. And I've only ever heard the only kind of explanation for the trucks not starting was obvious foul play, which I think is totally possible, right? However, the author of this book also brought in a couple other options here, which could also make sense. One was the extreme cold could have potentially caused the trucks to not start in a timely manner. Okay. Or in the panic of the moment, the men flooded them when they were trying to start them because obviously they're panicked and they're trying to hurry and rush. Possible? I mean, sure. I mean, again, still two trucks, both wouldn't start, plus the missing ladder. I mean, to me, it points
1: more to foul play than anything else. Yeah, I'd say if any one of those things had happened... It would have said, you know, maybe one of the boys moved the ladder, or maybe, you know, I mean, like not meaning to and then right. didn't put it back. I don't know about your kids, but my kids don't always put things back. <laughs> where what? Got things. I I went to go wrap presents the other day and I had a complete meltdown because we have like six pairs of scissors in our house <laughs> and I couldn't find any of them. Not one. So I could see that, but then the ladder plus the trucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just it's too, too many much. things. It's yeah. too much. I'm
0: I'm with you. I'm, I'm feeling like there's something else going on. Now, during all of this panic, Marianne ran next door to the neighbor's house. The neighbors were Mr. and Mrs. Davis. And Mrs. Davis tried calling the Fayetteville Fire Department, but she could not get the switchboard operator to respond. So, again, whoever helped place that wrong call earlier now wasn't answering the, the phone, the, the switchboard operator. What?
1: Lady. Or I guess could be a man. I've only seen ladies be switchboard operators. I visualize it as a lady, but maybe that's sexist to me. I don't know. I was like, I think I've only seen them pictured as women. But whatever it is, switchboard operator, you had one job. Now, I will say, I don't know,
0: like, the statistics of how often a switchboard operator would not be available. I mean, maybe that happened often. I don't know. In the wee hours of Christmas morning, are people making a bajillion phone calls? Maybe that explains why she didn't answer me. Maybe she's sleeping. I mean, I don't know. Maybe
1: she's sleeping. <laughs> maybe she was hitting the eggnog.
0: <laughs> maybe. But we will learn sh- this was not the only call that went unanswered by the switchboard operator. Yeah. So either I'm,
1: way. I'm not digging it. I'm not digging it. Falling down on the job. Yeah.
0: The level of incompetence seems to kind of just only grow from here. So, so I'm already
1: tight. sad. Now I'm going to get angry. Yeah, you probably will. Okay. At about
0: 1 a.m., a 55-year-old farmer named Thomas Smith was on his way home from Beckley and he drove past the Sauter house and saw it burning. And this was right around the same time that Mrs. Sauter would have been waking up smelling the smoke. Smith kept driving past the house looking for a phone to call the fire department because this is obviously well before cell phones. Yeah, sure. He stopped at a place called Crass's Park. That's a local like night, uh, like a bar, I guess. Okay. And he was told that the phone was out of order the managers, Lonnie Johnson and Jeff Akins, were not there, but some of the patrons that were hanging out at this bar decided to leave the bar when they heard there was a good fire. They just went down to that solder house so they could watch the fire. Because, you know, what else are you going to do at 1230 on Christmas Eve, one o'clock? What, are you, what else are you going to do in the early morning on Christmas Eve? Okay. Now, I will say. WTF? <laughs> I will say in the book it said they went to watch the fire. So I assumed they literally were looking for like a source of entertainment. I guess it is possible that maybe they went to help, but
1: that the book
0: said they went to watch the fire.
1: Did they help when they got there? That's the question. Did they try to help? There's not a whole lot of help really happening
0: in general. I don't know that okay. there was much that could be done there, unless you were a fire firefighter, okay, or or somehow pulling these kids out. Like there wasn't really a whole lot, which that even could the family couldn't do, right? Yeah,
1: so. Okay, so even if they had gone to help, it wound up, they just watched the fire. Probably. I just
0: thought that was very weird that like, oh, there's a fire. Let's go watch it. Well, it's clear this author
1: didn't think very much of them.
0: (laughs) Nor do I. Okay. Nor do I. Okay. Now later, Lonnie Johnson would say in a statement that he and several other people were having a party in his apartment. Remember, Lonnie Johnson's the manager who's not at the bar. Right. He's having a party in his apartment. And this apartment's about a quarter mile south of the Sodder home. Two of the party goers had left the party to go home, but quickly returned to use the phone to call the fire department because they saw that George Sodder's house was on fire. Okay. They too, were unable to reach the operator. What the heck? I know. So Johnson said he and his wife, along with several of the other partygoers, immediately left and headed to the solder home. At some point during the night, someone in the solder family noticed Lonnie Johnson in the solder garage, which was separate from the house, stealing a set of chain hoists that were secured to the ceiling. He would later admit to taking the hoist, Throwing them over an embankment so that he could pick them up later. What is wrong with people? These are the kind of people. And again, I don't know how much could be done actually at the fire, yeah,
1: but, but t- still stealing things. Let for me them just steal from as me. their house is burning to the ground and they've lost family members, animals, like animals. Yeah, animals. Th- like that is that is next level terrible. Yes,
0: absolutely. Now, meanwhile, this farmer, Thomas Smith, was finally able to reach the fire chief by phone. And when he asked if the chief was going to respond to the fire, Chief Morris said, I don't know. Now, this probably seems like a strange response. Uh, Yes, you (laughs) beat me to that because what? Remember, this was a different time. So many of the local firefighters were away at war. Others were out of town because of the holiday the ones who remained in town were asleep. Some didn't even have telephones, which means they'd have to be alerted in person. So it wasn't the same system we have today. I will give them
1: that. I'm not buying it, though. <laughs> that is not an okay answer. No. I mean, something like, I'm going to try to bring as many people as I can. Correct. Or let me see who I can get. Or even, I will be there. Sure. Yeah. Like sure. That would have all been acceptable. Yeah. The... I don't know. Not acceptable.
0: I'm with you. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Well, the fire department did eventually make it to the solder home, but it took them eight hours to do so. What use are they after eight hours? Not much. Not much at all. The reasons Chief Morris gave for taking so long to get to the scene varied. First, he said it was because it was Christmas and he didn't have enough men to call. Then he said the snowstorm from the previous night was too severe to take the truck out. How, However, please remember there are other people on the road going to and from parties and Yeah, work. to
1: work and things. Right. Yeah. And so you're telling me if the first responders don't have shovels, they didn't plan for this? Well, you know, who who
0: <laughs> plans for an emergency on Christmas Eve? Okay. okay. Uh, he also said the solder house was out of jurisdiction, which that, okay, that just annoys me. Like, who freaking cares? Go put the fire well, out. Well, then call the person who does help them. Right. Like, do something. Right. And then finally said he said he could not come because he didn't have anybody who knew how to drive the large fire truck. And he didn't know how to drive it.
1: I'm sorry. That's a problem. That is that for real? Yeah, that's what he said. Mm, okay, how do you get to be chief and you can't drive the truck? Or how is... Delegation.
0: We delegate around We
1: here. delegate. Well, then how about you make sure the person that knows how to drive it isn't on vacation? Okay.
0: All right. Well... <laughs> I told you you'd get mad. Whoa.
1: Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. I want to say lots of words right now. Okay.
0: All right. G- keep moving forward. All right. Chief Morris finally arrived at the scene around 8 a.m. with three other firemen. And they only had to travel two and a half miles to get there. Like, we are talking very short distance.
1: Unacceptable.
0: If they'd gotten there earlier, it probably wouldn't have made much of a difference, unfortunately, because the house had been completely destroyed in 30 to 45 minutes.
1: At least try. Try. Act like you care. Right,
0: right. The solder children left missing after the fire, again, were those same five who stayed up late Maurice, who is 15. they're also the
1: littlest, right? Well,
0: I s- mean, not the baby. It's a it's a mixture because there was Maurice, who is 15. Okay. Martha Lee, 12. Louis, age 9. Ginny, age 8. And Betty, age 6.
1: Oh, dear widow. I know. Even a 15-year-old. I'm sorry. You guys are babies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: they don't know it, but they're babies. I
1: know. I wouldn't say it to your face because <laughs> I know you want to be big boy. Yeah. But you're a baby. You're a baby. Trust me. That morning,
0: right after the fire, two troopers began an investigation of the premises and came to the conclusion that the cause of the fire was probably faulty wiring. This, along with smoking in bed, were the two most common causes of house fires at the time.
1: And by what manner did they determine it was an electrical fire? Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, This, along with smoking in bed, are the two most common. (laughs) Okay. Well, we flipped a coin and it turned out it was electrical. (laughs)
0: Duh. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah, there was not much investigation done, as we will continue to see. As soon as the ground and debris had cooled down enough, a search was initiated to try to locate the remains of the five children. Neighbors, as well as Mr. Sauter's employees, arrived at the scene to help. And according to reports, the search ended around 10 a.m. So the fire department got there at 8 and the search ended by 10, we had to wait for the ground to cool. So, as you can see, a very thorough investigation was done, right?
1: Okay. So, at max, it's a two-hour investigation. At maximum. At maximum.
0: At the end of this search, Chief Morris told the Sautter family that he'd made a thorough search of the debris and there was no trace of the remains of the children to be found. Now, Chief Morris reiterated that they searched the debris with a fine-toothed comb. He used that term, fine-toothed comb. And again, max, two hours. Two hours.
1: He has combed through the debris of an entire burnt-down
0: home. Yes. And the way this uh, house was built, or maybe this is just the way all house fires happen, but this house had a basement, mm-hmm. so pretty much what was left was a hole. Sure, Yeah. Because the the basement and everything just kind of fell into it.
1: Yeah, but they've sifted through it thoroughly. With a fine-tooth comb. Fine-tooth comb.
0: Chief Morris was quoted as saying, this is the most completely burned-up place I've ever seen in the course of my 16 years with the department. Now, Stephanie, in addition to there being several missing documents, as I told you at the beginning of this case, you know, lots of files were missing, it's strange because there's also, like, duplicate files. And there's even some reports that are like Sodder Family Report 1949, Sodder Family Report 1950. There's like multiple reports. Possible. I don't
1: know. Okay, that
0: is very peculiar. So we know there's at least two different fire reports dated two different years. But then there's another one that appears to be one of the reports only. Verbiage has changed and like corrections have been made. So there's three reports at least that I know of, but two are dated the same and appear to be. So it's like a document. cleaned up.
1: So one's like a cleaned up copy of the original.
0: Yes, but it, 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 they're changed. So oh. it's not, you can't even say it's like really the same information because they're missing pieces and not, so it's a mess. Yeah. So some of what I'm going to tell you right now is going to seem to maybe conflict with other pieces I'm going to tell you, but it's because we're looking at. Two different things here. So I'll go through it. A 1950 fire marshal report has been produced. And in this report, Chief Morris claimed that he found a body part that he described as a plump, fleshy piece of fresh meat, an organ of some sort, perhaps a heart. In this report, there would be six other witnesses who would say they saw this organ. Chief Davis said he put the organ in a box nailed it shut, and then buried it in the basement, which was then covered over by the solder family. He said he never said anything about this piece of evidence to the solder family, and during the inquest, he did not say anything because no one directly asked him. Later, this box would be dug up, and its contents were sent to Gay Funeral Home for examination, and I'm going to tell you a little more about this later. Mr. Gay examined the flesh, said the mass had no bones, no other hard objects in it. He said it weighed between four and five pounds. He believed it to be a portion of beef liver, which had never been exposed to heat. He advised the mass should be kept in a refrigerator. He did not have one, so instead he put it in embalming fluid and had it placed outside because it had an offensive odor.
1: Okay, so a fleshy. Mass not exposed to heat was found amongst the rubble of a burned out house. And then an investigator of some sorts found it, but instead of bringing it to anyone's official attention, there were witnesses, but again, nobody mentioned anything. He put it in a box and just buried it in the ground. And the idea is we're supposed to believe this is the remains of one of the children? Yes. Now, okay.
0: Some of this may make a little more sense towards the end of the episode when I give you a little bit more information about how the Italian mafia allegedly worked at the time. But right now, I know it seems confusing because we have one it report. Is so weird. <laughs> I know. This
1: is so weird. We
0: have one report saying no remains were found. And then another report saying this organ was found. But But again, not like an organ
1: with skeletal remains. No. Just literally laying by itself in a burned out house. A piece of flesh, yeah,
0: fresh meat that has not been exposed to heat laying by itself in a burned out house. Okay. Let me tell you more because I know right now it makes no sense, but I might be able to help you with that.
1: (laughs) Okay, because right now...
0: This is weird. Okay. You haven't... You're not missing anything. It's just... Okay. Yeah, it doesn't okay. make a whole lot of sense. Tie it together for okay. me. Okay. Well, first, let me tell you a little more about the actual mass itself, this mass that was found. Well, I know we had no bones. And... No other objects in yeah. it. It was just this fresh meat. Okay. Okay. So, a detective, Mr. Tinsley, was the one kind of in charge with this mass after it had been found, having been buried... And buried at the site. What the heck? I know. So Mr. Tinsley arranged that Mr. Gay, this medical examiner, examine this mass. He made several arrangements to come collect the evidence after Mr. Gay looked at it and said, hey, I think this is beef. You know, let me put it in embalming fluid and save it. So he made several arrangements to come collect this evidence, but then never showed up. So this mass ended up sitting outside in the heat for about 10 days. And then it ultimately disappeared. It's believed it was picked up with the trash. So we've lost this this. Oh, this is evidence. all so weird. So because of these reasons, we really don't know for sure what was inside that box.
1: However, I'm feeling it wasn't one of the solder children, though. I don't think it was. The
0: fact that it wasn't exposed to heat alone tells me I don't think it's a no. remains of the solder children. Now for the record, Mrs. Sodder did confirm she did not keep any type of meats or organs in our home so it, it wouldn't have been like from a meal you know leftover from a meal they'd recently sold their cows their hogs right no they're saying it was like a piece had, of beef right right no okay. animals have been butchered so there's
1: no way to explain it away it's not like that. it fell out of a container and wasn't exposed to heat or anything like that right
0: What well, we do know whatever it was fire chief morris wrapped it in newspaper, placed it in a wooden cartridge box, nailed it shut, and buried it on the solder property.
1: That is so, did he do it as like a, like he's trying to be reverent? Like he thinks it's a piece of a remain
0: According to one report,
1: yes. Okay, but instead of it presenting, like presenting it to the family and saying, would you like to give us a proper burial, he just buries it. In the basement and doesn't tell anybody. Correct.
0: Okay. Correct. Sure. Remember, originally, Chief Morris says he went through that search site with a fine tooth comb and found no
1: remains, right? Oh, right. So we found no remains, but now he's saying, oh, but there's also this big, fleshy mass of beef something. Right.
0: So in a second report, a 1952 oh, a second, fire report.
1: Yeah, a second report. Yes. And, and as we know, I mean, follow-up reports are always much more accurate than initial oh, reports. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know my memory gets so much better the
0: more years go by. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in this second report, Chief Morris would say he did not thoroughly search the site, but instead focused on just where the beds should have been. He said he did not finish the job to his satisfaction, and he'd planned to come back to continue the search, but instead, Mr. Sauter covered the entire cert with dirt four days after the fire. Now, this is true. Mr. Sauter believed this to be the final resting place of his children, and in this intense grief, believing his children's remains were somewhere on this property,
1: he did cover up the site Okay, as I underst- a burial. I could understand that. So... But Chief Morris clearly didn't explain to him that he was coming back, if indeed that was his intentions. Right. and especially Because again, he had said, fine-tooth comb, it's all done.
0: Right. Okay. So for all of you listeners who are confused, what we're learning here is originally Chief Morris appeared to want the Sauter family to believe, your children died in this fire, there's nothing left of them, close the book, move on, we're done. When the Sauter family started questioning why there were no remains, because it doesn't make sense why five bodies would just be missing in this fire, then he came back and said, you know, well, I I really didn't get a chance to search. And, you know, I did find this one piece of remains. So the narrative is changing based upon what someone or some group of individuals want the Sauters and the rest of the community to believe to be true. Ah, gotcha. Okay. In 1968, Marianne Sauter would write a letter and in it, she would say that the morning after the fire fire chief Morris and a few other men searched the site. And when asked if there was any trace of the bodies, he said they did not find anything. However, she said a few days later, chief Morris showed back up at their house with a piece of flesh saying that it was part of a human body and that it had been found at the site. This piece of flesh was soft and had not appeared to have been exposed by a fire. fire. B- did not appear to have been exposed to a fire.
1: I mean, I just don't see how you could make any argument that that was in the fire. No, I don't either. And I don't believe
0: it was. And I think I can help you make more sense of that a little later on. Okay. But let's let's move on to the coroner's inquest. Yeah. Okay, so a coroner's inquest was held at the site less than 12 hours after the fire, and it was determined that the five children died in the fire. This ruling was made without interviewing any witnesses or hearing your, any testimony. So they just right okay. then and there said, okay, children died. We're, no evidence. No evidence. And remember, uh, allegedly, less than 12 hours after the fire, there's no bodies.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so... no bodies. And, and I'm sorry, I mean... A fire that quickly, it's not going to burn up all the bones, especially long bones and things like that. Like, no. there's no chance of that happening. No. I not mean, to that degree. No, no. I mean, it's a very hot fire. It definitely burned quickly. But you would expect to find something. something.
0: There should be something. Yes. Under this particular set of circumstances, there should definitely be something. There should be a lot of something Right. Left. So Mr. and Mrs. Sauter believe right off the bat something fishy is going on. Though they did believe initially their children died in the fire, they did also believe the fire had been intentionally set. A funeral service was held for the five children on December 31st at the Sauter home. So right there. Aww. Like I said, Mr. Sauter had it filled in with dirt. Mr. and Mrs. Sauter were too grief-stricken to attend, which just breaks my heart. And regarding having the site covered so quickly, Mr. Sauter said... I've been called idiotic for covering up the ruins, but I believed at the time that the children were dead and I didn't want their remains, even if they were invisible, to be trampled on. I I I absolutely hundred percent understand. I can I, I really do fault him nothing for doing that. Later no. on, I think he probably regrets it because more searches could be done. But in that moment,
1: I absolutely he understand. believed they
0: were there. Wreaths of flowers were arranged and five wreaths that had been placed at the site the day before the funeral, each bearing the name of one of the missing children, were turned to face the audience. An account states that the site made a beautiful cemetery located on a knoll overlooking the highway and that eventually nature will overtake and obliterate all traces of the fire and it will be as other cemeteries.
1: Mm.
0: I thought that was so beautiful. The Sodders eventually built a new house 150 feet away from the one that burned. Okay. Eventually, it was time to restore phone service to the Sodder home. And the phone company serviceman told the Sodders that the phone line coming from the utility pole to the old Sodder house had been cut, not burned through. Huh. That's interesting, right? Yeah. Now, like I said, George Sodder started thinking something was fishy pretty quickly. So he... Hired private investigators. And one of them located the name of the man who admitted to cutting the line on the very night of the fire. What? Pretty suspect. And we know it happened after 12 30 when Mrs. Sauter got that wrong number call. So who's cutting phone lines in the middle of the night?
1: That answers a question for me because I was thinking, I mean, obviously, we know like, There was backfill. Maybe there was some machinery or something like that could have accidentally cut it, Mm -hmm. you know, in the weeks, months following the fire. But this guy admitting it to cutting it the night of the fire. He admitted to cutting it. And the reason he
0: gave for doing so was because he thought it was an electrical line. And he thought by cutting it, it would stop the fire if the fire was indeed electrical in nature. Interestingly, these lines were 14 feet from the ground. So the lines could not have been cut without the use of a ladder, like the ladder that was missing from the solder home and later found 75 feet away. Uh,
1: This is not making sense.
0: Do you want to guess who may have cut these phone lines?
1: I I don't know. At this point, I mean, it's a whole cast of characters that I think could have done it. So, I mean, take your pick on which of these boneheads did it. It was Lonnie Johnson. Oh, the same thief- the thief.
0: The thief. Yes. Oh. The same man in the garage stealing equipment as the solder house burned down. I, and remember how he'd thrown those? An animal. Yeah. The an animal. animal. Remember how he'd thrown those stolen items over an embankment so he could come back later and grab them? Yeah. You remember how the ladder was missing from the side of the house? Yes. The ladder was found over that same embankment.
1: Oh. Okay, I'm sure that's a total coincidence. The same ladder he would have had to use to cut the lines. Total
0: coincidence. Total coincidence. Because it's so much easier to move a ladder 75 feet away from a house that's burning than it is to just leave it where you used it. In the spring of 1947, Mr. Sauter read a story about a fire where seven people had died, including small children. And there were full skeletal remains of everyone, including a three-month-old infant. That's really sad. Okay, but that's really that, sad. But
1: also, it goes to our point. That's, not everything just disappears. That's why that's I shared it, works. it. And especially, like, you know, that's
0: small. That Those are small remains. Small remains yes. would probably... Would go first. Go, yes. yes. As time went on, the Sauter family began to doubt that their children had actually perished in the fire. The fact that the local officials were so quick to determine the cause of death without doing any real research, and then the confusing accounts of fresh pieces of flesh being found where they didn't belong, and I didn't learn about it till way after the fact. And all of this started to raise some real questions for the Sauter family as they moved, you know, more towards trying to piece things together. So Mrs. Sauter began placing animal bones left over from meals that she'd cooked into her coal-fired kitchen stove. And as many times as she attempted to do so, she was never able to cause the bones to turn to ashes. Now, that's a mom. Right? That's a mom. right. Now, remember that witness who saw the fireballs being rolled onto the roof? Yeah. There may be a reasonable explanation for this. If the fire was indeed electrical, the fire could be running inside the walls. And if that's the case, that may have been like where the wind, what the witness saw. So imagine it almost like just like, almost like lightning.
1: Like arcing. Yeah. So I don't know. That doesn't look like fireballs.
0: Well, and it matches up with the sound. Mrs. Sautter thought she heard something hard like a ball landing on a roof. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it's hard for me to believe this was an accident. So you're telling me children disappeared mm-hmm. and within minutes basically of their children disappearing, there's an accidental fire? Bizarre, right? It just doesn't it just doesn't Bizarre. add up to me. I think if you believe the children were not in the fire, then you have to believe the fire was set intentionally, right?
0: Now the official report always says that the children are in the fire. But yeah, I hear that, but there's no really, evidence, right? The
1: evidence they were in the fire. That.
0: Now let's talk for a minute about the fact that the five children who went missing were the same five children who stayed up late that night. You want to talk about coincidence? What are the chances that they all go to bed? They all go to their separate bedrooms. And yet those same five children who were originally separated from the rest are the five that go missing. I mean, the odds of that are astronomical. However, if something happened to them while they were still downstairs playing hours before the fire ever began, that could very easily explain why those five children were missing and also why their chores were not completed. Right. Regarding the phone call that Mrs. Sodder. Got on Christmas Eve around 1230, the wrong number. Yeah, Many people believe that phone call was actually a warning, possibly meant to awaken the family so they could be more alert during the fire. Oh. Which is interesting.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that.
0: And I kind of think that that's possible because whoever it was didn't want to say who they really were.
1: Uh-huh.
0: You know, they're asking for someone who the soldiers yeah. don't even know. Yeah.
1: That is interesting. If any of these things had happened on their own, you wouldn't think much of them. But put all together, it it paints a picture. It does. Yes. The Sauter family, like I said,
0: thoroughly believed at this point that their children did not perish in that fire. Something else happened. But no matter who they talked to about it, they just kept getting shut down. This did not stop them from looking for their children. On August 18th, 1949, the Sauter family actually had the site excavated, and this was done with a large scoop that had been attached to the end of a tractor. During this search, several items were found that would indicate the fire was not nearly as hot or intense as it had been previously reported. Scorched coins, pieces of tire in tube, pieces of roofing materials part of a dictionary. Pieces of linoleum flooring and unmelted glass jar and bottles were all found.
1: Okay. So, you know, did I remember Chief Moore saying this was the most burnt out fire he'd ever seen? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, another statement that I just don't buy. Especially, I mean, part of a dictionary? Paper? Yeah, exactly. Paper didn't burn, but
0: Entire bodies, including Bones, did? Five of them? Doesn't make any sense. Like, I can understand if it was just one body, but the fact that five bodies in different areas of the house would have to have been burnt to nothing, like, that's just not... not, It's not possible. No, it's not. After several hours of digging... Bones were found in two different locations. Whoa. Were they using a different fine tooth comb this time? I think they were. It was an even finer. It was an even finer tooth comb. Now, don't get too excited because the first set of bones actually was determined to be animal bones.
1: Oh, okay.
0: However, the second set of bones was later determined to be 100% human. Okay. These bones were analyzed and determined to belong to a boy between the ages of 14 and 15 years. Okay, which the older boy that disappeared was that age. 15 years old, yes. Now, these bones showed no evidence of having been charred, meaning that they could not have been loose in the fire, which would indicate that they could have been in the fire covered by flesh and insulated from the high temperature. Okay, so it could have been a body. Okay, so you
1: can't rule it out.
0: Right. Or perhaps they'd never been exposed to heat at all. And planted? Potentially. Okay. They also appeared to be almost mechanically separated, meaning it did not appear that they fell away from each other organically, like a body would normally decompose or even burn.
1: They're, they weren't placed the way a skeleton would be placed. Right. It was okay. almost more
0: like some type of dismemberment. Okay. Or it, it just wasn't or it. An organic falling away. Okay, got it. The place where these bones were found were on the opposite side of the boy's bedroom. So that didn't make a whole lot of sense either because the theory, they're sleeping in bed, the fire starts, the house collapses. Where they would have kind of landed or ended up yeah. is not where they were found. Okay. They were actually found on like the other side of the house. So okay. it didn't make a lot of sense. Now, subsequent examinations of these bones would reveal that the bones may have belonged to an older individual, probably around 16 or 17 years old, with the possibility of being as old as age 22. And they were able to determine the, this person was no older than probably 22 because the bones had not fully fused, and that only happens around the age of 23. If these bones did belong to one of the solder children, it would have been highly unusual that only a couple of bones were found And larger bones, such as the large femur bones or skull, were not found. There is a phenomenon that could explain why some of the bones were missing, but the requirements for all of that to have happened would have been so astronomical. It just didn't really fit this scenario. Okay. Here's the theory surrounding the bones. They could have belonged to Maurice Sauter.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Who died in his bed.
1: Right. Even though somehow his skeleton migrated across the house. Correct.
0: Or... They could have belonged to Maurice Sauter if the children had been kidnapped and he had been taken into another room and killed. Now, what? What are you talking about, Cynthia? There is a theory that perhaps someone came into the home, tried to abduct the children, and Maurice didn't follow the instructions that were given to him. So he was taken and removed from the rest of the kids, disposed of. Okay. And four Solder children were taken out of the house. Ugh, I hate, I hate all of this. I know. And the reason where this theory comes from is there are some eyewitnesses that later after this fire in the days after this fire believe they saw four of the solder children and they didn't see Maurice. And then the fact that these bones were found in a place that they wouldn't be expected to be found could indicate, okay, maybe he was still in the house. And he was the oldest. He was 15. Yeah. So, you know, uh, trying to tell a 15-year-old, you're doing this or that, I can imagine a little kickback. Right. Right. And I can see
1: him even trying to be valiant, trying to help his brothers and sisters.
0: Right. So that's just a theory. The finding of these bones kind of helped to make that one seem a little more valid. The final possibility for these bones could be that possibly they, they came from that fill dirt that was brought in to cover the site. Okay. Now some of the dirt that had actually come from a nearby cemetery, which is interesting, the oh, Mount Hope and cemetery, how, like incredibly <laughs>
1: that's
0: that's not ideal. It's weird. In this Mount Hope cemetery there was a gravesite of a young man named Frank Fidel. He was a 19-year-old marine who was killed in World War II. Frank had originally been buried in Beckley, but had been moved to Mount Hope. And this in- disinterment could have presented someone with the opportunity to obtain his bones if they wanted to. Oh, okay. And like plant them? Potentially. Maybe. Oh, there's just really, so many d- Depending on how turns. deep you want to go in the whole like, you know, cover up and all that. Yes, potentially. I mean, I think, I don't know what was involved with like you know excavating a grave and moving it like i don't know could they have fallen out of the casket i don't know
1: yeah i mean it seems like a lot of things would have had to happen in order for the bones to come from the cemetery right um i find one of the first scenario you know first two scenarios much more likely let's say it was maurice the other four children are still not there right so you can't say they all perished in the fire correct Correct. Which means something wonky is going on. Something wonky is going on. I think we can agree on that. Yeah. In
0: 1949, Mrs. Sauter was looking through a magazine article about a beginner ballet class in New York City. And there was a photo of several young girls practicing ballet. Both Mr. and Mrs. Sauter immediately recognized one of the girls as their daughter, Betty. Mm. Mr. Sauter, of course, immediately went to investigate. Sources differ as to how, but records do show that Mr. Sauter was provided with documentation proving the little ballerina was not their daughter. I
1: mean, this is just heartbreaking. It's awful. (sighs) I know.
0: Disappointment after disappointment. By this time, the Sauters were absolutely convinced their missing children were not victims of the fire. They had two private detectives working on their children's cases. They were also contacting senators Ultimately, they even put in a request for help from the President of the United States. The matter was referred to the FBI since it had been alleged the children had been kidnapped. But the FBI declined the case since it had been determined to be a fire by the local authorities. Yeah, these local authorities can stuff it. Really. But since they had not been asked to participate early on by the local officials, there was no ransom note left. It did not meet the FBI's criteria criteria of being a kidnapping which is sad because then maybe we may have seen some real answers but
1: gosh it's just frustration around every turn
0: yes for sure at one point mr Sauter became convinced his five children may have been taken by member of his wife by members of his wife's own family and taken to cortez florida this was looked into but the only possible lead that came from it was when a woman named mrs Bree said she saw the children after the fire she allegedly reported that she saw the children being taken away in a car with Florida registration plates. However, upon further investigation, it was revealed that in the original reports, it was stated Mrs. Bree said none of this information. And instead, she said she saw Mr. Sauter's brother driving a car with Florida plates. So that's just like a good example of what a mess these things turn into. I mean,
1: one of those is not even similar to the other.
0: And that is throughout everything, like for every article or for every report that says one thing, there were no bodies, fine tooth comb. The next report will say,
1: here's a heart I found in this. Yeah. And also, well, I kind of looked around, but then I was going to come back. Like, it's just unbelievable. A mess.
0: Over the years, the Sauter family saw their personal detectives come and go some decided that the children were in fact victims of the fire and therefore there was nothing else to investigate. Others were determined to be too amateur by Mr. Sodder and therefore he was unable to continue to employ them. In June of 1952, Mr. Sodder decided to offer an award for information leading to the recovery of any of his missing children. A reward poster was placed in the Charleston Gazette. Soon after the offer of a reward, a woman named Ida Crutchfield A local hotel owner owner came forward saying she saw four of the children accompanied by two women and two men in her hotel the week after the fire. So there she is saying, I saw the four kids. Okay. She said she tried talking to them, but the men appeared hostile, refused to let her communicate with them. And then, of course, she didn't say anything until after an offer of a reward was made. And then she comes forward with this information.
1: Isn't that convenient? Very.
0: Very. On September 10, 1953, Mr. Sauter and his sons finished what would become a Fayette County landmark for the next several decades. Mr. Sauter erected a full-size billboard on his property on Route 21. On the billboard were the photographs of the five children, and the text would say, What was their fate? Kidnapped? Murdered? Or are they still alive? $5,000 reward is offered by George Sodder for information leading to the recovery of any one or all five of his missing children. These children disappeared on Christmas Eve, December 24, 1945, when their home was destroyed by fire. A complete investigation of the burned premises failed to produce evidence of human bones or flesh. An affidavit has been signed by a person that she saw four of the five children in Charleston at her hotel two or three days later. They left the next day accompanied by two men and two women. Although later, five different people saw the same children in Cortez, Florida. Over the next several years, there would be at least three different billboards. One of them called for the removal of the state fire marshal. The third version of the billboard had six photographs instead of five. The sixth photograph was reported to be of a 17-year-old Lewis Sauter that had been received in the mail in 1967 from a postmark in Central City, Kentucky. And on the back of the photo, it read, Lewis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, a little boys, A90132 or 35263. Okay. Right. So there's a lot of speculation. as to, First of all, what do these numbers mean? There's theories from dates. And also, is this
1: an actual picture right. of him? Yeah. Who's Frankie?
0: I love brother Frankie.
1: I love brother Frankie. But he didn't have a brother named Frank. No. Okay.
0: Theories from dates, postal co- codes, locations, etc., all surround this this postcard. The solder parents thought that
1: "ilil" may have been slang for "little," like little boys. A little yeah. boys. I mean, I think of that whole encrypted message that would be one of the easier things to interpret, but Sh- that makes no sense. No sense. No one knows for sure who the photograph is
0: of. No one's ever come forward saying that they know the man in the photograph. So oh, that's weird. Maybe it was who. Who knows? Of course, the offer of a reward brought in strange tips. Some of these letters have been highly associated with the case. They all say things like, the children did not perish in the fire, or I know what happened to them. But sadly, nothing of note ever really seems to come from them. A neighbor told Mrs. Sauter that there was a freshly dug grave on her property and that Mrs. Sauter's children were probably in it. This later turned out to be the grave of a dog, and the witness was considered unreliable and ultimately committed to the state mental hospital. Not because of her saying the solder children were in the grave, but just because she had some mental disabilities.
1: Oh, man. This is just so rough for everybody. So
0: rough. In addition to the billboards, a pamphlet was produced, because at the time, pamphlets were, like, a major way to spread yeah. information. And for many years, whenever the solder children were discussed, so was the involvement of the West Virginia Mafia, which honestly, to me, and I've been alluding to it throughout the episode, to me, this kind of seems like the most obvious of possibilities. To me, this seems like this could actually ring true.
1: Well, I mean, yes, but I think more so nothing else does. And that's the thing. What else could it? be. I mean, I I agree. It sounds like something out of fiction. Right. It does. But nothing else makes sense. Right. But why would the Sauter family be a target for an organized crime ring? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Well, no, that's what I was saying. I mean, are you thinking the guy that had co-signed the loan for him, was he somehow involved in the mafia? Was he just excelling at business? Was his comments about Mussolini? I mean, Yes, and. It seems and. very strange. <laughs> yes, and. Yeah, all oh, and. Sauter was
0: becoming a successful businessman, which right. could put a target on his back. Sure. He was very outspoken on his views on Italian politics. They were not favorable to Mussolini. He refused to take out life insurance policies, and that was one of the ways, I think we mentioned it earlier, that was one of the ways that the mafia would extort victims okay. is by having them take out insurance policies. Yeah, Remember, he'd received that black hand letter. The way the black hand works, they did a few different things that kind of lines up with this case. So first of all, they would often like watch their victims. There were some reports that came out after the fact that in the weeks leading up to the fire, there were some men seen kind of just hanging out around the property that appeared to be watching the children as they came and went.
1: Well, and also that weird stranger about the electrical fire and stuff.
0: Okay, that brings me to a great point. Okay. The Black Hand would often send a warning. Oh, yeah. Some people believe that may have been a warning. Okay. The piece of flesh, that doesn't make any sense, right? This random piece of beef that was not touched by fire. Yes. What these crime ring leaders used to do is when they'd make a hit, they would take an organ, an animal organ, something like that, and bury it. And not tell anybody that it was there. And it was their kind of silent revenge. It was meant to be like, eat your heart out. So the fact that this mass, believed to be a beef liver or something like that, was found buried is twofold. One, it was probably something that was put there as this silent message kind of thing that only the higher-ups knew about. But then when the family starts raising cane because wait a minute we should have found some remains or something they're able to pull that out and say well look here's your remains so it's kind of twofold they used it to help them later when they were looking for remains but the reason why it was actually there is because it was something that they used to do just like a kind I, of like a horse head in a bed kind of thing
1: i feel like they completely underestimated the solders. Yes, they underestimated the solder's willingness to just throw down. Well, and I'd say we're going to get to the bottom of right. this. Right,
0: like they honestly thought we'd say, "Sorry, your children died in a fire. There's nothing left," and they thought that would close the book. And instead, they they fought back. Yeah, and so now they're having to like grasp straws. And I feel like this, they can find. Yeah, I
1: feel like this fire chief Morris. Oh, I. So definitely definitely he's the one that buried on this thing. It. Has to be. I mean, why again? I cannot think of any other explanation under the sun as to why he would have buried this. Right. Without telling anyone. Right. How bizarre. You just bury this piece of meat, never say anything to anyone. Oh, it's weird. And the fact that he didn't respond to the fire. I mean, yeah. so much. Right. Oh, it makes me ill. Like, physic- I'm physically ill right now right. thinking about that. Even the fact that this
0: occurred on Christmas Day... You go back generations and Christmas is supposed to be like this grave date f- this day of great feast. It's supposed to be this big celebration. So the fact that this happened this day was an even bigger, like screw you kind Evil. of thing. Yeah.
1: Evil. So and this is all just because they wanted to extort some money. Yeah.
0: Or and they didn't like what he had to say about, you know, Italian politics and, you know, probably didn't like the fact that he was becoming successful and maybe he was gonna have followers
1: and, you know. Just that's enough to kind of like ruin a man's life. Unbelievable. But we still don't know what happened to the kids. Well, here's
0: just a few things that may have happened to the children. They could have been murdered. Right. If, if, they, if, this is, if they did not die in the fire. If they did not die in the fire, well, they could which have been murdered immediately. I think immediately. I have concluded they did not die in the fire. Me too. Okay. The mafia has them. We'll say it's the mafia. They could have been murdered immediately. Or the younger children could have been sold. There were places like the Tennessee Children's Home Society, which was known for illegally obtaining children and selling them. So, if more Ma- like to adoptive families, yes, well, I mean,
1: quote, adoptive yes. families, yes. Okay.
0: If Maurice refused to operate or to cooperate, he may have been killed in the house. Perhaps those were the remains that were found. It would explain why some witnesses only saw four children, the rest of the kids were sold. Lots of people will pay a pretty penny for yeah. a kid. The children may have been taken back to Italy, placed up for adoption. Now, the author of this book wrapped things up by mentioning Occam's razor, which is defined as entities must not be multiplied beyond necessity, meaning that the simplest explanation tends to be the best one, right? So in the solder case, the most logical explanation is that the fire was accidental, the five children died in it, the fact that there were little or no remains was because of the intensity of the fire. The eyewitnesses claiming to see the children in the following days were simply mistaken. The man who saw the fireballs being thrown onto a roof actually saw the fire streaking through the walls of the house. All of the questionable events surrounding this case were just coincidence. But none of these scenarios explain the intentional manipulation of the truth, which seems pretty hard to ignore.
1: Yes. I I don't think I could have said that better myself. Because, again, Occam's razor, right? But nothing else explains all the other facts that have now come to light. Right. Now, sadly, George Sauter
0: died in 1969 after spending every day since the fire looking for his lost children. After his death, his wife Jenny continued the efforts until her death in 1989. Some of the unfortunate circumstances surrounding this case are because of the time in which it happened. No DNA. No social media, no working phone lines, no on-call fire department.
1: Uh, How is that possible?
0: Mm, We've come a long way. In 1984, the Sauter children's oldest brother, John Sauter, was quoted as saying, we've got more friends today and we're out more. If it happened today, we might get something
1: done. And I think that's true. Yeah. Gosh, I hope they don't have any survivor's... Guilt on this thing. And I, it's just, it's so tragic for everyone. For everyone.
0: It's awful. I mean, I would think, I feel like they probably all kind con- of come to the conclusion now that the children were not in the house, at least for the solder family.
1: Well, there's no doubt about it. There is some fishy business there, for sure. And what about this dude stealing stuff out of the garage? Uh, to me, this just points to everybody
0: around them was just awful most everybody around them is just awful you can't trust
1: anybody it's really sad they're gonna talk about kicking you when you're down right so Mm. so tragic and wow merry merry christmas (laughs) merry merry christmas everyone (laughs) okay tell me something good cynthia can we talk about something good actually you know what i'm gonna do it you do it i need a little pick me up we're gonna talk about branch of hope because we need that right now. Yeah, we do. We need that right now. Now, our Branch of Hope report, your December 2023 non-profit options are Superstition Search and Rescue, which we featured in the Lacey and Connor Peterson case, episode 23, and the Amelia Earhart Memorial Scholarship Fund, hosted by the 99s that we covered in episode 24. And to vote, All you got to do is head to our Facebook page and let us know through our online poll, which fun speaks to you. There are no strings attached, no gimmicks. We're simply a podcast leading through words and actions, and we want to make sure your voice is heard. So tell us which of those two organizations you would like to support in the month of December. We're already almost at the end of December here. We want to give some love and to support to one of these wonderful organizations. Now, I will say we've been kind of working through a few little um, hiccups on our online polls. So if you don't see it there, just send us a little message and we'll make sure that we write you down. We're going to get better at this, guys. We're working through it. It is going to happen, but social media is not our friend when it comes to some of these things. Um, So anyway, make sure you send us an email, send us a message, let us know who you want to vote for, and we'll make sure that uh, your vote is tallied. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And if you love this episode, love us, or love the Branch of Hope, tell someone. We are doing good work, and we need you to help
1: spread the good word. You can also join our Patreon. We have a Patreon. We have a pa- And guys, actually, can we tell them about the Patreon? What do they get on the Patreon? You
0: get a monthly live with me and Stephanie. We can talk about past cases. You can tell us what future cases you want, but we will be right there for a whole hour talking
1: to you I think that's pretty cool you get some yeah. extra episodes extra, extra exclusive episodes. episodes which you will never find on any other streaming service only the Patreon that's there's right. already one on there and we're working on a second one right now we are so it, and you're. they're full length episode guys and we didn't slouch
0: no oh no that's a full length ep- episode yep.
1: absolutely <laughs> Cynthia's very, it was her episode oh. as you can tell <laughs>
0: <laughs> was that the one I edited
1: <laughs> let me tell you <laughs> Friends, you, you, yes, you presented and edited.
0: Hours were spent
1: on <laughs> this, episode. Cynthia. So I have kind of been our editing chair, if you will. I've been kind of heading, heading, <laughs> heading that up, and Cynthia decided to take a stab at it. And um, the episode sounds amazing, but Cynthia has a few more gray hairs as a result. And we have decided as a team that I will continue to do the editing. And Cynthia is going to help other ways. Yes. yes. I'm, I'm heading up the Patreon. And so. she's, yeah, she's pretty much heading up the Patreon. If you send any messages through our Patreon or through our Patreon Facebook page, they will go to Cynthia. And yes, yeah, so you get a live with us. You may even get to see some of my farm animals. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> We're posting like, extra, like cute content. And if you want to get to know us a little more, like, you know, pictures of our... Stephanie's Farm Animals or My Rescue Kittens or whatever, like, you know, good stuff. It is. And remember that a portion of those
1: proceeds go to one of these nonprofits. So exactly. Guys, it's just a few bucks a month. And we really are giving a portion of those proceeds to one of these not-for-profits. So not only are you getting some Dark Oak goodies, not only are you helping to promote a small business, but you're also hoping to promote um, and support nonprofit Organizations um, across the country. All good stuff. It's all good stuff. So um, please send us an email at, the dark oak podcast at gmail.com. Again, as we've said, we're open to any of your questions, comments, anything else you want to share. And you can always hop on over to thedarkoak.com as well for other ways to connect. Be sure to follow us to our next episode where we cover the
0: infamous murder of Elizabeth Short also known as the Black Dahlia. Thanks for listening, Shiver Seekers. You rock.
1: This episode of The Dark Oak was created, researched, written, recorded, hosted, edited, published, and marketed by Cynthia and Stephanie of Just Us Gals Productions and made possible by you, our Shiver Seeking Listener. Special thanks goes to Justice Himes for our incredible artwork and Ryan Crete for our amazing music.